Sorry, I like that hymn so much I kind of got caught up in it there. <laughs> Usually I get ready to come in here a little sooner. Anyways, God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this third Sunday in Lent. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, continuing with this theme of uh, clearing up misconceptions, if you were here last week, I addressed two common misconceptions about Jesus. Uh, today's reading from John shows us again that Jesus' attitude is, is not always one of a pacifist. You know, he can get quite ticked off and deal sharply with people. Well, I don't want to go over that again, uh, so let's look deeper at the Old Testament reading from Exodus. What misconception might there be with the Ten Commandments? How about this one? It's all good. I used that phrase a lot when I was in military aerospace. You know, mainly to calm people down when problems seem to be getting out of hand. It's all good meant it's going to be okay. We'll fix this. But it has other meanings. My colleague who teaches at Concordia Portland says that when his students in the undergraduate religion class have differences of opinion and worldview, their favorite line is, it's all good. It's all good means your truth is yours and mine is mine and we can all get along. In that way of thinking, the only sin left in the world is being judgmental. And the only meaningful commandment left is thou shalt not judge. But people didn't write the Ten Commandments. See, that's another misconception. God wrote them, right? God decided there was right and there was wrong and he had the courage to name it. He can be the judge because he creates everything and he makes the rules. Unfortunately, his creation, us, oftentimes loses the courage to believe it and stand up for it. This is one of your concerns, according to some of the feedback I got from you last Sunday. You're concerned about Christians standing up for God's truth, or lack of it, I guess. Well, I'm with you there. We need truth. We need grounding. We need God to show us the way, right? What is our problem anyway with calling idolatry, cursing others in God's name, unbelief, disrespect, ill will, sex outside of marriage, stealing, gossiping, and jealousy, sin? Because, you know, is it because the, the world around us laughs at moral absolutes and so we laugh too? We never want to impose on anyone's business let alone keep check on our own. This is the 20th cent 21st century after all. We've outgrown some of this stuff, right? Well, it seems to me though, and I don't, I, and don't you agree, the misconception of it's all good runs headlong into what's actually going on in our world. In other words, the Ten Commandments are playing out every day for the entire world to see. Violence and murder happen on the heels of jealousy, hate, theft, disrespect. That's another concern some of you let me know about last week. Violence and murder in the world. And I appreciate that. It's a concern of mine too. 
Maybe it's all good isn't so much a worldview as it is a coping mechanism. A way of denying this messed up world and creating one's own mental or virtual safe place. But I mustn't get philosophical on you. You've called me here to give you truth. And I've been talking as if there's no morality whatsoever in our land. There is. So let me clarify. Everyone has a sense of right and wrong. Even our pagan neighbor has a system or a moral code they believe in that informs their conscience. For example, you'd find very few people who believe shooting innocent students at a school is morally right. Wouldn't you think? Are you going to find anyone who thinks that's right? Definitely not all good. But the same man or woman who believes innocent teenagers shouldn't be shot at their school might not have a problem at all shooting one who routinely trespasses on their lawn or believes people of inferior worth are disposable. The grieving teenage survivor on the news who decries all violence might not think twice about giving her friend a ride to Planned Parenthood to get an abortion. Depends on your individual moral code, and we all have them. That's why it's so hard to come to consensus in this country when it comes to ethical and moral issues. It's why it's hard to come to consensus about the same things in the church. But it's all good, right? It's all good when Jesus redeems the world, redeems you and me from the sins aforementioned. See, the Ten Commandments are not all that unique as far as commandments go, but the starting point is unique. Every culture has rules like these, but not every culture starts with God rescuing enslaved people. These commandments perfectly describe Jesus. I'd like to clarify the misconception that Jesus abolishes or tosses the Ten Commandments aside. Now actually you'll find him in this unsuspecting spot. He's written about in these commandments. They're not just about the Israelites and they're not just about you and me and our obedience to God. They're about Jesus too. Mainly about him. And here's how. We Lutherans know the Ten Commandments to function in three ways based on Scripture. One of the ways is it's God's therapy for us to live a healthier, safer life here on earth. After all, at least one day off per week is healthy, right? We all know this. God made us. He knows our physiology. We need rest. Obviously, killing is unhealthy. You know, not only for the victim, but also for the perpetrator. If you have a conscience, it eats you away on the inside. What benefits to the health of the mind and body do adultery and jealousy have? Couples counseling and therapy is big business these days because people are damaged by unfaithfulness. I could go on, but you get the the point of this kind of function of of the commandments. Another function is they guide us to live lives the way God intended us. Think of the bowling alley on this one, right? 
If you're terrible at bowling, you put the bumpers up, right? To, to keep the ball going down the lane and to at least hit some of the pins. That's one of the uses of the Ten Commandments. To guide us down the road of life, we bounce back and forth along the edges to reach the goal. But the main function of the Ten Commandments is to terrify our complacent consciences, condemn our crooked nature, and comfort us in God's love. That's not something you may have expected out of the Ten Commandments, but it's true. Do you hear God's love for you in these commandments? You should. You should not only hear condemnation or guilt or shame. You should hear God's love in them too. Jesus went to the cross, died on it, and paid the price to clear the debt you owed to God for not following His ways perfectly as He demands. Jesus became the sins for you. He assumed His Father's rules for us unto Himself and He became the sacrifice to pay the debt. It's in there. The clue is here at the beginning. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Good news for the Israelite of the day, but even better news for you and me all these thousands years later because He's the same God. And at another time in history, He brought you and me out of the land of sin and death, out of the house of slavery to sin, and set us free through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's all good, see? God's truth is our truth. We can learn a great deal about Jesus from the Ten Commandments, a place we might not have expected to find Him. I hope the commandments become something more special to you than just rules or ancient codes that don't apply to Christians anymore. The commandments prescribe and grace inscribes. I'll let Luther have the final word on this. The law says do this and never is it done. Grace says Believe in this one, Jesus, and everything is already done. Amen.